Binge Mode is brought to you by DirecTV Now. Live stream your favorite channels on virtually any device. Plus, you can subscribe to HBO and start watching Game of Thrones today. Lord Baelish. Peter, please. Are you heading to listen to Binge Mode? I'm going to the Irie to see your Aunt Lysa and the Veil. She's sensitive, so I feel I feel compelled to tell you that Binge Mode features adult content. Good, good. Very graphic at times. Good. I know how she is around Moon Doors, so wanted to warn you just in case. And now, here's Binge Mode. You look exquisite, child. The wind has been at you, though. I haven't had the opportunity to tell you how sorry I was to hear about your brother. War is war, but killing a man at a wedding, horrid. What sort of monster would do such a thing? Hello, Woo! and welcome to Binge Mode. I'm Mallory Rubin, deputy editor of TheRinger.com. And joining me today, now that he's finished washing down his pigeon pie... Uh, this pie is dry. It's Ringer staff writer and your maester, Jason Concepcion. Hello. Jason, if yeah. we make it out of the woods, we win. We are more than halfway through the trees because we are rewatching all 60 episodes of Game of Thrones. Right. We are deep diving one at a time. And this is, uh, this is more than halfway, guys. That's exciting. Requisite spoiler warning for all of you. We will be going deep on details from the show and the books from this season and beyond. And this is a spoiler-rife episode, so we will actually be issuing some section-by-section specific spoilers yes. as we go. Pet your pups, Aww. because it's time to break down season four, episode two, The Lion and the Rose. Jason, Melisandre says there's only one hell. That's right. The one we live in now. She's such a charmer. <laughs> so cheerful. I, I feel pretty good, though, because yeah. Joffrey is dead. Joffrey is dead! Joffrey is dead! Down goes Joffrey. Everyone remembers this episode for Joffrey's death yeah. at the Purple Wedding, but that actually comes at the very, very end of a packed hour of TV. So, so before we get into that, we'll spend a lot of time on that. Before we do, let's offer just a quick refresher on what actually happened in this second installment of season four by taking a very quick trip down our own King's Road. But the dread fort in the north, Ramsay, his GF Miranda and their <laughs> dogs, and Reek are hunting a woman through the woods, as one does. Normal afternoon activity. Sure. Lord Roos arrives with his new fray bride, Walda. He had to sneak back into the north because the Iron Men still control Moat Kaelin in the neck. Uh, he's annoyed because Theon, who is a valuable hostage, has been cut up in various ways. No longer whole, can't really sell him back to the Ironborn. Theon admits that he didn't kill the Stark boys, and Ramsay sends his man Locke to Castle Black to go look for them. Always nice when we get a little insight into Westerosi grooming practices. Ooh. Nice shaving scene there. Yeah. Over in Dragonstone, meanwhile, Melisandre's beachside barbecue is going swimmingly. Tonight's menu. Is that screaming? <laughs> Selyse's brother, her own brother, <laughs> Sir Axel. And honestly, guys, whoever yep. else refuses to renounce the old gods and take on Melisandre's religion. Right. Uh, back in the north, 
Working comes easy for Bran Stark now. Uh, he, in fact, maybe too easy. He's beginning to lose himself in summer in his wolf dreams. Later, Bran has his first proper green seer vision of a tree somewhere far beyond the wall, and he knows where they have to go. And finally, in King's Landing. Who doesn't love a wedding? A lot of action. A lot of action. It is time for Joffrey and Marjorie to tie the knot. Not the Miranese knot, but the, but the other kind of knot. Whoa. And a lot happening for a lot of characters here. Yeah. Tyrion and Jamie. Mm-hmm. Trying to catch up on lost time, you know, having a little meal, sharing some wine. And Jamie confides in his brother that he no longer can fight properly in the way that he needs to to protect the king. Can barely wipe his own ass. His words, not ours. Tyrion has a solution. I know a discreet gentleman yep. who would be happy to help you train. Sabran of the Blackwater. That's right. Varys warns Tyrion that Cersei knows about Shay, which means Tywin knows too. For her safety... Tyrion, using some pretty rough language, breaks up with Shay. Uh, he wants her to leave the capital as soon as possible. Over at the Sept Baylor, mm. Joffrey and Marjorie actually do it. They get hitched. To be clear, when we say actually do it, we do not mean it, it as in consummate the oh, marriage. God. But they, they say the words. Right. They are married in the Sept. Olena and Tywin spar over the enormous cost of the ceremony. Meanwhile, at the reception, Joffrey's mood steadily darkens. Joff has uh, his own idea of what proper entertainment is, and no <laughs> surprise, it involves shaming his uncle Tyrion. Joff has organized a troop of dwarves to reenact the War of the Five Kings. He thinks this is hilarious. Basically, everybody else is horrified and disgusted and revolted by this, but Joffrey's humiliation tactics don't end there. He goes out of his way to further shame Tyrion by having his uncle serve as his cupbearer. This goblet of wine will be important. Yes. Just as Joffrey is pouring wine over his his uncle's head, uh, we're saved by the pie, guys. Pigeon pie. Wonderful. Pie comes out. Joff, drunk by now, pulls out his new Valyrian sword, Widow's Whale, cuts open the enormous pigeon pie and orders Tyrion. To bring him his goblet so he can wash down the pie, which is just a little bit dry. Good, it needs washing down. His last full sentence before choking to death. Cersei cradles her dying son in her arms. She immediately places the blame on Tyrion. Okay, Maester. Yes. A royal wedding is not an amusement. Sure. Joffrey Uh, wants you to know that, damn it. Or he wanted you to while he was still on this mortal plane. But. Needs washing down. We need some laughs, too. I, I, I agree. And so we are going to shake up the order a little bit today. We're going to kick off our purple wedding talk by heading to the Sept. It's time to bathe in the light of the Seven right up top here and make the case for seven possible murder suspects. Because one of the things that this episode in particular and recent episodes leading up to this do very well yeah. present multiple very believable possibilities for what could have occurred here. Yes. Now, If you guys are wondering if we are actually going to reveal the answer, we are. But we're going to do that in a few minutes. So this is a safe space if you want a spoiler-free discussion. And then when we get to the point where we are going to spoil it, we will tell you. Okay. Believe it or not, uh, Joffrey had a lot of enemies. Yeah. Yeah, he did. Number one. Not a well-liked dude. Peter Baelish, a.k.a. Littlefinger, he once famously told Varys that chaos is a ladder. He will engage in any deed, no matter how deadly or depraved or traitorous, so long as it moves him one square closer to his 
goal of ultimate power. As Varys accurately observed in season three, Littlefinger would burn the kingdom if he could be the king of the ashes. What better way to set the realm ablaze than to assassinate the physical embodiment of the state, mm. potentially mm. setting the Lannisters and the Tyrell against each other? Behind door number two, yeah, we have the Red Viper Dorn, Prince Oberyn Martell, famed for his expertise in exotic poisons. He's loudly yes. and often nakedly yes. been telling anyone, anyone within earshot or other types of shots <laughs> that <laughs> he is in the capital specifically to visit justice upon House Lannister for the murder and rape of his sister, Princess Elia Martell, and her children. He has a motive, and we know this because he's constantly reminding Can't us Can't stop talking it. about it. Door number three. Last season, Lady Olena Tyrell showed quite an interest mm -hmm. in Joffrey's various proclivities, often in, involving a crossbow. She questioned Sansa Stark as to what kind of person the king was. Sansa's answer, he was a monster. Perhaps Lady Olenna found the prospect of having both Loras and Marjorie wedded to blonde psychopaths a bit too risky. <laughs> After all, Joffrey does have a younger brother. Mm. Sweet, sweet boy. Sweet boy. Sweet. Likes cats. Behind door number four, Sir Dantos. Once a knight, now a fool. Yeah. He has been in Sansa's debt since the first episode of season two when Joffrey's then betrothed saved the drunken knight's life. Joffrey wanted to kill him. Sansa suggested an alternative. Dantos owes her a life debt. Could he be looking to repay this? Mm. He certainly appears to be motivated and involved in some way. Door number five, Tywin Lannister. Ooh, what? Ooh, Listen, ooh. this guy loves Grandpappy? control. Maybe. Listen, <laughs> he promised Cersei that he would bring her unruly and unpredictable son to heal. Joffrey was already testing his Lord Hand's limits, calling his grandfather to the throne room to question him over various moves that he was undertaking in his name without telling him. Perhaps Tywin considers the young, innocent, and feline-loving Tommen a more pliable charge. I have to say, I would have loved seeing Tywin go up to Joffrey as he was choking to death and whispering, <laughs> yeah. you are being counseled right now. Yes. Ah, what could have been? Behind... Flaming bonfire number six, Melisandre and Stannis. Let's hey. not forget, they did burn right. leeches just engorged with king's blood, maybe, right? With Gendry's blood. And maybe the as, magic works. As Stannis dropped those leeches into the flames, he recited the names of his enemies, including King Joffrey Baratheon, the usurper. Did it work? Door number seven, Tyrion Lannister once promised his sweet sister Cersei that her joy, quote, would turn to ashes oh. in her mouth. And when it happened, she would know the debt was repaid. He has been known to have struck his grace several times in the face, <laughs> the person of King Joffrey. Yeah. Could he have done this? <laughs> Married to the traitorous Sansa Stark? I gotta tell you, it looks pretty good. When you're at the beginning of a marriage. Yeah. You know compromise is important. Learning to share your life with someone is important. True. You need to be able to bond over shared true. interests. It's true. What yeah. better than a murder? Let's kill this guy. Let's do it. Everybody hates him. Okay. Spoiler warning. <laughs> we are going to talk about the actual killers. Cheers to the Lannister children, the yep. dwarf, the cripple, and the mother of madness. And cheers to everyone 
Everyone. Absolutely everyone who played a part in the purple wedding. This is masterful. Plenty of believable cases just made. But as you guys know, each episode, we like to honor the person who we think played the game the best, advanced his or her cause in some tangible way. And this week, even For a few episodes, at least. Game of Thrones will not f- reveal the perpetrators, we're going to do it right here. Fast forward a couple minutes if you don't want to hear this. If you If you do want to, stay with us. The winner of our champion's purse is the person, one of the one of the people who actually pulled off this assassination. It is Lady Olena, the Queen of Thorns. A masterful move. What masterful a woman. Move. What a woman. Now, she did not act alone. No. We will find out very soon that Littlefinger was involved. Obviously, Dantos was involved. Right. All of this information is coming soon. We will talk about this more. But we want to give props right now to Olena as the agent on the ground. Yeah. There are so many beautiful moments in this episode where now, the clarity of hindsight, knowing her role, you could just watch and appreciate the way the showrunners stage this and plant these little seeds. You know, there's that great moment when the Septon says, cursed be he who would seek to tear them asunder during the ceremony. The camera pans right Right. to Elena. She's got that kind of mercurial look on her face. Slight grin. Hard to read. Definitely. And then there's that just perfectly choreographed moment where she goes over to greet Sansa, right? You look exquisite, child. But the wind has been at you. Right. So that's her her in, her excuse to kind of briefly like futz with Sansa's hair and her jewelry. And why does that matter? It's because the necklace is the vehicle right. for the poison that ultimately takes Joff out. Who gave Sansa that necklace? Dantos. How did he get it? Well, it's all coming together here for us. And when there's a brief moment when she pulls her hands away and you can actually see yep. the missing bead from the necklace. And then there's that statement she makes after the red wedding. She says, war is war, but killing a man at a wedding, horrid. What sort of monster would do such a thing? If men need, need more reasons to fear marriage. Oh, Lena. Man. And I love the, there's that moment when uh, the camera kind of pans and it's the goblet and Olena. Mm-hmm. And she's kind of like just observing the scene. Perfect. Yeah. What, a, what a cool customer. She knows it what takes she's an doing. immense amount of courage to be able to to stage that and pull it off, but she did it. And we should say, it's not she's not just our winner for Joffrey specific right. reasons. Let us never forget <laughs> the moment when her own son right. comes up to her as, tries as, to, as she's speaking with Lord Tywin. Right, tries to engage her in conversation. And what does she say? Not now, Mace. Lord Tywin and I are speaking, and Mace turns <laughs> on his heel with alacrity. <laughs> She's incredible. And just walks, oh, sorry. Love it. Yeah. What, what a woman. She's amazing. All right, Jason. Yes. Curse be he who seeks to tear us asunder with sword or shield or poison? Perhaps. A vicious venom took down Joffrey, right, in his fuckboy prime. <laughs> and at the end of this episode, nobody knows why. Right. It's a mystery. Yeah. What happened? How could the best protected man in Westeros fall? How could it happen in his own wedding, absent detection? What actually took him down? How did it get into his system? Who did it? A lot of questions here. But the murder weapon itself and the ways in which poisons are deployed in this story and in this world, crucial to understand in this moment and in other moments moving forward. So let's assemble the conclave, head to the Citadel, teach us everything we need to know about poisons. 
poisons. Eddard Stark once said, I've heard it said that poison is a woman's weapon. Wrong again, Ned. Poison is a devious, sneaky weapon for devious, sneaky people who don't want to get their hands dirty. Oberyn Martell is famed for his knowledge of poisons. The Cranog men of the neck, shouts to the Wonder Twins with Bran, wherever you are, use darts tipped with toxins to bring down their foes. Never leave your goblet unattended around the sand snakes of Dorne. This is my message to you. Or for that matter, any maester, as training in poisons is part of the Citadel's core curriculum. So, in honor of King Joffrey dying on a bed of pain as his throat closed off in front of everyone, let's quickly run down the world of Game of Thrones' notable poisons. There's the Tears of Lys, hailing from the free city of Lys in Essos, home of some of the most diabolical alchemists anywhere in the world. Their tears are best known as the poison that killed John Aaron and kicked off our story. Tears are one of the harder toxins to acquire and among the most dangerous. Totally clear in color, odorless, tasteless. The poison is practically undetectable when dissolved in food or drink. And the substance basically just eats away at your digestive tract, appearing initially like a very bad case of food poisoning before uh, causing you to die because your intestines turn to liquids. Would you say that this was a quick one? Quick one. (laughs) Then there is the strangler, which did in Joffrey. This pie is dry. I bet it is, Joff. <laughs> also hailing from Lys, the Strangler is also quite rare and very, very, very expensive. It is the sports car of poisons. The faceless men of Bravos and Rome make use of it, derived from the leaves of a plant which grows only in the islands in the Jade Sea. The Strangler appears as a deep purple colored liquid. Ah, and if you dry it, it looks quite like a gem. Mm-hmm. Um, Thus the reason that wine is the favored medium of the strangler, because slip it in there, can't see it. Substance causes the muscles around the windpipe to seize, choking the victim to death painfully. Oh, Joff. Then we have moon tea, one of the more everyday poisons, uh, which is uh, more like a medication. You know, the difference between a medication and a poison is really just a question of scale. Um, at the wedding reception, Cersei chases a handmaiden away from Pycelle, telling her, go see Kyben. Carburn. Robert. Congratulations, not even a maester. There's a good chance <laughs> that uh, this handmaiden was on the hunt for moon tea, which is a common pregnancy preventative and an abortive substance. Then we have sweet sleep, dying painfully from a pig tusk to the guts uh, and milk of the poppy, not quite doing it for you. May I suggest sweet sleep? Sugary in flavor, a few small grains of this and a cup of coffee mm. calms the anxious mind and body. A pinch? places the patient in a deep, dark, dreamless sleep. Three pinches or more? You're never waking up, my buddy. Gray cap and demon's dance. Listen, I don't know what this stuff does, but it's mentioned in the books, and it sounds extremely ominous. In the books, Pycelle claims that Tyrion stole these and and other toxins from his chambers, which is used as evidence in his upcoming trial. Widow's blood. Mm. Mm. Shuts down the digestive system, causing the body to effectively poison itself. Yikes. And then uh, finally, but not last, there's many others, but this is, this is one that appears in the show. There is Manticore Venom, Prince Oberyn. Very familiar with this toxin. He's been known to tip his weapons with this. Derived from the Manticore, a green carapace insect the size of a tarantula, native to the islands of the Jade Sea. It kills nearly instantaneously. As soon as that venom hits your heart, you're done. An unnamed warlock child assassin, you may remember, tried to kill Danny with a manticore back in Astapor. That was horrifying. Yeah. A lot of poisons out there, guys. 
How does anyone in Westeros or Essos ever feel safe drinking a sip of anything or taking a bite of anything? <laughs> you got to have a food taster. It's just really the only way. Man. Someone's got to taste that food. Joff. Oh, knees washing down. <laughs> <laughs> Loves the wine. Yeah. Loves Bring the wine. Bring me my wine. Knees washing down. This pie is quite good. Gotta say, let's yeah. take a moment. Sure. To appreciate what a satisfying way this was to watch really one of great. the true villains in literary and television history go really, down. Really, really. I love that there's that moment when he chokes. Yeah. And you're like, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Because you don't, you know, oh, listen, yeah. this is this is TV. This is a visual medium. People don't just cough. Right. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Right. You don't just cough and it means nothing. When he, when he goes, ah, bring me my, <clears throat> you're just, oh, oh. Here we go. Uh, it's wonderful. Uh, it's wonderful. It's great. And oh, he's you know, he's clawing at his own throat, yeah. and the, the way that the blood vessels in his is he eyes strains. and his face are, are uh, popping, and he's he doesn't even look human at the terrible. end, which is of course very fitting because he has never really been a human. He's he's been a monster, and that's that's what yeah. he looks like at the end. Love it. Okay, Jason. Yes, you're not a true champion yet. No. True champion defeats all challengers. There's all these pearls of wisdom that Joffrey gave us at the very (laughs) end. And that gets us to this episode's big idea. So let's cut right to the core of it. Let's stick it with the pointy end. The defining theme of this episode, other than pure satisfaction, is spectacle. When you play the Game of Thrones, you win or you die. We know this. But also... Also, when you play the Game of Thrones, you need and want people Very to important. notice. Yes. What is a tourney without participants? That's right. What is a wedding without opulence and onlookers? What is a torture session without a show-and-tell demonstration at the end of it, right? Pageant- pageantry and exhibitions dominate this episode. So let's break a few of them down. And we will we will start right where we just left off, back at the Purple Wedding, because Joffrey's death is obviously the main event, but this is spectacle in full. Yes. Seeing as Joffrey had so many questions surrounding him about his legitimacy, his real parents are, et cetera, et cetera. It's very important for the realm that Joffrey have a wedding that amplifies his legitimacy. Have it in the Sept of Baylor in front of the whole realm. They can all see it. Have, have that big reception so everyone knows he is the king. At the pre-wedding gift-giving breakfast, Joff offers a spectacle moose-bouche. He fronts being mature at one point when Tyrion gives him a book of uh, wise kings in order to guide him. It's always off-putting when Joffrey acts like a king for a second. Or like a just remotely normal dude. Right. He, 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 <laughs> Tyrion gives him the book and then he's silent for a moment and you're thinking, oh, uh-oh. And he says, now that the war is won, we should all find time for wisdom. Thank you, Uncle. <laughs> and you're like, whoa! It's, so, it's more disturbing, though, than his actual disturbing acts. Extremely, extremely disturbing. And then he acts like a total freak <laughs> by chopping up the lives of the four kings with his new Valerian steel sword. And he can't stop there, though. He has to make a his third absurd sword naming move of the show, Lion's Tooth, Heart Eater, and now, welcome, Widow's Whale. Man. Nice one, buddy. Strong stuff. Although, to be fair, he didn't, some random guy at the right. reception was like, what all's well? I like that. <laughs> oh, yes. Oh, I like this one. Got his own widow coming his yeah, way. That's right. Yeah. The extravagance of mm-hmm. this entire event 
you know, there's it's not just a wedding. You gotta right. have the brunch. You gotta have the whole you thing. Have the brunch. Gifts. Not lost. Yeah. On everyone, right? So Elena and Tywin, they have a little chat later on about the value of this, about the value right. of spectacle. And Tywin, Tywin of all people, says, <laughs> bit much, wouldn't you say? Betraying the fact that he doesn't have any money right. anymore. Yeah, he's he's he started counting coppers. All of a sudden he's squeezing those coppers. That's right. And yeah. Elena says, it feels proportionate. Yeah. Tywin, proportionate to what, Elena? The expected extravagance, right? right? We've heard her say this before. The people want this. They need it. If you don't give it to them, they will turn somewhere else for That's their right. entertainment, right? And Tywin says people who spend their money on this sort of nonsense tend not to have it for long. Well, like, yeah. dude would know, I guess. <laughs> and Olena, as usual, has a priceless comeback. She says, you ought to try enjoying something before you die. You might find it suits you. Little does Ooh, she know that right. he's going to He's going to try enjoying something pretty soon. He really is. Oh, Tywin, you filthy old Secret fool. Eight. He hates whores. Or does or he? does he? <laughs> that exchange, though, is also interesting because it gives us a little, the Iron Bank will have its due yep. seed plant, which is something for us to watch and will enter the story in a more meaningful way in the next few episodes, right? And- what is Tywin responding to? Why is he saying these things? Well, the wedding is full of spectacle. Yeah. There are performers. Food. How many dishes? 77. 77. A, a fateful number, my lord. The crowds. The yeah. bright colors. Like, it's vibrant. It's yeah. energizing. If it weren't for the fact that it was Joffrey's wedding, you'd look at this and be like, this seems kind of dope. Right. This looks fun, right? There's even a woman performing a oh Miranese knot. Prince Oberyn, the classic sees the Miranese not being performed, <laughs> strides towards it. There's also the sheer spectacle of Cersei's towering rage, simmering at first. She is angry at everyone. She sees Brienne talking there with various people, and she strides up. And I'm sure you have many stories. Sworn to Renly Baratheon, sworn to Catstock, and now sworn sword to my brother. Must be interesting to flit from one camp to the next, serving whichever lord or lady you fancy. I don't serve your brother, your grace, Brienne says. Ah, but you love him. Whoa, hammer. Yikes. Uh, and Brienne That's a tough moment. has no idea what to say to this. And then when she shuts down Pycelle, who is in the, in the process of uh, advising some random handmaiden about probably some uh, reproductive uh, informational data, she says, you know, every breath you draw in my presence annoys me. God. Marjorie. Uh, who had previously decreed that all the leftovers would be given to the poor and less fortunate of King's Landing. This shows you the political skill of Marjorie, which annoys Cersei right. to no end. The leftovers, she declares, will go to feed the dogs. The and dogs. That's how much she hates Marjorie. Hates that her, even though right. she now also is openly ridiculing and belittling Pycelle, <laughs> right. she's still willing to use him yeah. as a pawn to help take down Marjorie's agenda. Really, really great stuff. We also see Tywin, Cersei, Oberyn, and Ilaria have a lovely little exchange, one. right? And one of the things that's so cool about Oberyn early on in our time with him is that we see that he's just, he's ready to hang, he's right? He ready. can throw it right back Listen. at Cersei or at Tywin, right? He says, I suppose it's former <laughs> Queen Regent now. And then they're talking about gout. 
as one does. Right. A rich man's disease. And Tywin says, you know, because Oberyn says, Shocked, you don't have it, right? right? <laughs> you never had a little, a little touch of the gout? Right. And Tywin says, noblemen in my part of the country don't enjoy the same lifestyle as our counterparts in Dorne. And Oberyn, again, is always ready with the retort. He says, People everywhere have their differences. In some places, the highborn frown upon those of low birth. In other places, the rape and murder of women and children is considered distasteful. What a fortunate thing for you, former Queen Regent, that your daughter Marcella has been sent to live in the latter sort of place. This is actually brilliant because he is all at once saying to them, you can't intimidate me. Right. Right. Here is a clear reference to something that occurred in the past so that, again, I'm reminding you, this is why I'm This has not been forgotten. Exactly. This has not been tabled. Here's a threat. Veiled. Not even veiled. About the future. Right. And an edge that I have, an asset that I hold. What a guy. And then, of course, there is Joffrey's uh, interesting idea of spectacle. He goes out of his way to shame basically everyone sitting at the table of honor. The fact that he used dwarf mummers shames his uncle um, and the things that he makes them do. And then, you know, uh, the way Tyrion says, you know, make sure they're well paid for this because he understands that even they are being humiliated by the things that that, uh, Joffrey's asking them to do. He takes shots at the late Renly with some of the actions that the mummers portray there. So brutal. In front of, you know, Loras, in front of Brienne, Joffrey is, man, what a fucking piece of shit. Um, When they (laughs) knock off Rob's wolf's head, there's Sansa looking absolutely distraught. And Joff is cackling. He loves this. Um, Oberyn looks revolted, but Joff, you know, he doesn't care. He's he's absolutely in his cups. Wine dribbling down his chin. (laughs) Um, And Olena looks horrified, but also somewhat strangely placid for some reason. Um, And there's also, there's a sense of, Reassurance. Right. 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 You're you're seeing there the confirmation of right. what you expected to see right. and a justification uh, for the decisions. That I made you're the right decision. And then uh you can feel what's coming because of who the mummers are. And then when it comes, it's just you you knew that the bully in Joffrey was unleashed. He's the uncle. I'm sure they have a spare costume. And then he makes Tyrion his cupbearer. Uh, as, even as even Mace Tyrell, who is a fucking idiot, looks embarrassed <laughs> when when Joffrey drops his cup down, kicks it across the floor for Tyrion to to fetch it. I said, Neil. By the way, a really touching moment when yes. Sansa picks up the cup and gives it to Tyrion. They they share something there. Not that anybody watching Game of Thrones needed a reminder at this point that Joffrey's right. bad news, yeah. but it is still the perfect symphony of reminders that he is human garbage. Just a piece of shit. It's just incredibly effective because Joffrey could have gone down at any point and it would have been wonderful. Right. He would have earned our hatred and we would have felt like our joy and reaction of watching him go down was fully justified. Right. But everything he's doing here, nobody can stomach it for a second. And it's, it's important to note that one of the keys to what people in Westeros would consider good uh, kingship, good ruling, is traitors and enemies and, and people that you're fighting against are to be treated you know, with utmost violence. But when they kneel, when they submit to you, you raise them back up and you bring them back 
into the realm because that's how you build alliances that can support all of Westeros. And that's where this idea of spectacle comes yes. back into play again because Joffrey just doesn't understand He doesn't that. get it. It's, the, it's domination. Right. The show. Right. The ability to in public say it's all about who's loudest right right? who's making the most noise who's making the biggest scene who's embarrassing other people the most well that's how you win in his mind but of course what happens he dies i mean it's how fitting is it that his death comes on the heels of drinking the wine that he needed to (laughs) wash down the pie that had been filled with living pigeons that he literally sliced open with a valerian steel sword if that's not spectacle what is and there's the pure spectacle for us as viewers of the way he looks, yeah. the way he looks when he's when he's dying, he's literally like he's oozing. The life is oozing out of him. It's very satisfying. Hey, guys, just a quick break to tell you about our sponsor. Binge Mode is brought to you by DirecTV Now. Live stream your favorite channels on virtually any device. Plus, you can subscribe to HBO and start watching Game of Thrones today. And now back to Binge Mode. What about, let's quickly go through some of the non-Joffrey, non-Purple Wedding elements of this episode. Because obviously Joffrey's death is what we remember this for. But there is some other stuff that happens. And there's there's a lot of spectacle taking place up at the Dreadfort. Yeah, Ramsay uh, wants to show his dear old dad that, hey, I can be a Bolton too. Uh, (laughs) Let's take a moment to appreciate the the warm welcome Roos gives to Ramsay. Waldo, this is Ramsay Snow, my bastard. Uh, no wonder Ramsay is so well adjusted. <laughs> what a greeting. Uh, uh, he's pissed about what Ramsay did to Theon, even though Theon thought this was great. Roose is going to love this. No, actually, because you know what? That's a valuable prisoner who's a dick, among other things, you just chopped off. And what the <laughs> fuck are we supposed to, what are we, we going to do with him now? Roose tells him, Tywin Lannister has given me the North, but he won't lift a finger to help me take it. Uh, he can't do anything while the Ironborn Hold Moat Kaelin. This is why he's so pissed at Ramsay. The idea was, in order to unlock the north, allow free passage uh, from the neck to the southern regions, got to get the Ironborn out of Moat Kaelin, which has never been taken by storm in 10,000 years. You know, a long, long time. Never, ever has it been taken. So what do you do? Trade Theon, Balon Greyjoy's only surviving son, for the Ironborn leaving the castle. Now he can't do that. So... How are you going to make this up to me, Ramsay? Roos sends Ramsay down to the neck in order to figure it out. Take your little dog with you. And how does Ramsay earn that assignment, right? right? How does he earn that little bit of trust? Right. Spectacle. Spectacle. Because he needs to prove instantly. Right. There's no, there's no time to waste. He needs to prove to his father that he, the, the decisions that he made, that instantly Roos is saying, well, I don't approve of this, right. Were, were right and useful. Useful for the future. That's the most important thing to get Roos to understand, right? So when Ramsay says, Theon was our enemy, but Reek, Reek will never betray right. us, and then goes on to do, well, first of all, like, this is... Spoiler alert, not true. Right. (laughs) (laughs) So this arrogant asshole is uh, able to prove something in the short term here. But as usual, hubris is a factor in the downfall of misguided characters, right? Ramsey is not content to let his father be disappointed. So he has to stage this performance to win him over. What does he choose to do? He lets Reek shave him. Why is this the choice that he makes? Because it literally involves letting 
the person or creature right. that Roos is saying, you've, you've ruined this guy, this was misguided, this was foolish, hold a blade right. to Ramsey's own neck, one stroke, one nick, and he's done. Right. He's off the board. So this is his way of saying, here's how confident I am. I'm literally willing to put my life on the line. And it's not just that. It's not just that he lets him shave him. He goes through the process of provoking him, yeah. right? He says, oh, that's right, Reek. Rob Stark is dead. Sorry. I know he was like a brother to you. But now my and father, always. <laughs> now and always. <laughs> my father put a knife through his heart. How do you feel about that, right? right? And we see the, the hesitation. Un- for a moment. Pauses just for a second. But what does he do? Ultimately, he keeps shaving, right? Show and tell complete, mission accomplished. This is pure spectacle, but it is effective because Bolton does opt to send Ramsey right. down on this family mission, right? You want to prove yourself a Bolton, gather whatever men you can find and ride from Oak Caitlin, bring this creature of yours. Maybe he'll be of some use. Take the moat for the family, for our family, and I'll reconsider your position. Um, Tyrion puts on his own display of spectacle of the aggrieved boyfriend who's had enough (laughs) because he needs Shay for her safety to leave the capital. You can't just ask her to go because she's already shown that she loves the smell of cum and rum (laughs) and shit, and she's not... I love the smell of cum and rum and shit, and she's not gonna leave. She's not gonna leave. She loves Tyrion. Um, So what he's gotta do? Um, he's got to be a super, super dick. He has to stage essentially a ruse. She's, Shay says, what is this? Tyrion says, I'm a married man. My wife has suffered a great deal, as you know. And then Shay is, you know, tries to fight. I'm not afraid of them. I'm not going to run from them. We'll fight them together. It's like we said, I am yours and you are mine. Here, Tyrion realizes I've got to up the amount of spectral. This is not going to work. Right. You're a whore. Sansa is fit to bear my children, and you are not. I can't be in love with a whore. I can't have children with a whore. Agonizing. How many men have you been with? Oh, 500? 5,000? And how many whores have you been with? I have enjoyed my time with all of them and with you most of all, but now that time is over. Wow. Oh, man. <laughs> but necessary, Savage. he feels, in order to get her to leave. And this is what pushes her into Tywin's arms. That feeling of needing to get back at Tyrion in really the most singular way that would hurt him. Barris says, you know, your father has promised to hang the next whore he finds you with. Uh, Have you ever known your father to make an idle threat? Well, (laughs) and also from Cersei, you know, Cersei relished getting this piece of information. She loved finding out about shit. She's the whore I told you about, the dark-haired one. She She says to her father, clearly enjoying the moment. Have her ever brought to the toe of the hand before the wedding. Mm. <laughs> you know, for just, uh, so I could just talk to her. It's <laughs> totally above board. There's no, you know, just find out, uh, you know, what uh, Essos is like and things of that nature. Um, oh, really, really, Tywin. Uh, a man who would appreciate that kind of maneuver, yeah. I feel I feel we can safely say. Bronn, who knows that sometimes spectacle is the enemy of yeah. good taste, right? So yeah. when Jamie confides in Tyrion <laughs> that he needs a sparring partner, they know that Bronn can be discreet. How do they know this? Yeah. How does Bronn convince Jamie that he can keep quiet? Well, when he's explaining their location and how right. he chose it, he says, There's a knight. Uh, Laygood? Uh, he's got thunderbolts on his shield? Uh. Right here's where I fuck his wife. <laughs> She's a screamer, that one. They don't hear her, they won't hear us. 
Uh, Melisandre. Oh, what a yeah! Everything to her is spectacle. Everything is spectacle. Everything. She's burning people, right, yeah. including Selyse's own brother, and Mrs. Stannis. What a she yeah. loves it. She's yeah. she's buying the hook, line, and singer. She says, "Did you see?" Their souls. It was yeah. their souls. Our Lord took them. Did you see? She looks like she's on the brink yeah. of climax. Oh, God. Such is her joy and bliss watching her own brother right. burn. That's how effective yeah. Melisandre's approach to spectacle and lore and myth building is. And Solis, really one of the low-key true monsters on this show, yeah share some of her own views on spectacle while, you know, just munching down on some spoiled meat over dinner. They're talking about Shireen, and she says to Stannis, you think she's sweet because she smiles when you visit. She's stubborn and sullen and sinful. Why else would the Lord of Light see fit to mock her face? She needs the rot. She is talking about her own daughter here and saying that she needs a facial disfiguration and a life-threatening disease because basically a visual signifier is like the most powerful thing and the most important thing. That is extremely fucked up. And then she went back to her chamber to gaze upon her 40 fetuses in (laughs) jars. Wow. Yeah, talk about a spectacle. But this Dragonstone plotline in this episode shows us that spectacle can be spoken. Yeah. As well, right? And it can be a little subtler in nature and still very powerful because if an idea, if a statement is strong enough to grab you, to disturb you, to sink its hooks into you, it can alter the way you think and approach life, right? And Melisandre, she's not only no stranger to this idea, it's her entire MO. So when she's talking to Shireen, they're asking and you know, discussing religion and the power of religion and how people think about religion. And Melisandre says, you know, because Shireen has, offers up, I've read the right. seven-pointed star, right? right? And Melisandre says, the septons speak of seven gods. There are but two, the god of light and love and joy and the god of darkness, evil, and fear, eternally at war. Yeah. What is this, guys? Ice and fire, right? This is the story that we're talking about here. The rest of her little speech there's only one hell, princess, the one we live in now. What a wonderful woman My she is. God, this is yeah. a child that she's talking to in her bedchamber at night, someone who doesn't have the, the, the luxury or the allowance of really engaging with other people. She's shut away. She's shut off from life. And this is the bridge that her family is building for her to connect back to the world around her. That is extremely disturbing. But Melisandre knows that it's also something she can take advantage of. There's also the spectacle of Bran's vision that takes us to the heart, or one of the hearts, at least, of magic in this world. After getting a lecture from Jojen, who's looking progressively more and more like shit. Yeah about how you can't stay too long in summer skin because you're going to lose yourself. He's concerned about this. They come across this beautiful weirwood tree, big, beautiful weirwood tree, and Bran asks Hodor to take him to it. And when he touches it, we see rapid flashes of things. We see the weirwood. We see the tree roots. We see the three-eyed raven in Winterfell's crypts. Ned polishing ice. Hmm. Ned in the dungeons. Winter gathering in the north, gathering strength. The weirwood again, the raven saying, look for me, a close-up of the weirwood face, the child white, ravens amassing roots, the weirwood again, 
beneath the tree, and then a white horse, dead horse. Um, the throne room without a ceiling covered in snow and a- perhaps Look, ash? Looks familiar. We yeah. have seen this. That's right. We have seen this when Danny walked through the House of the Undying. A reflection of the Night King in ice, and then Cersei shouting, he saw us from uh, when he spied Jamie and Cersei together. Brand falling from the tower, dragon, a dragon beating its wings over the rooftops mm, of King Landing. Future? Perhaps. And then Brand falling from the Weirwood. And finally, north, north, compelling the three eyed raven, compelling them to head north. This is the kind of show spectacle, past, present, future, Easter eggs, confirmation of things, clues, perhaps. This is why we love this story so much and why Bran in particular is so dope. I love Bran. He's great. All right, guys. The time has come for us to contemplate our history and our future. We hope that you had as much fun as we did today. Yeah. And that you will join us again next time when we enter a Joffrey-free world. We will be discussing season four, episode three, Breaker of Chains. Until then, remember, a great sword should have a name. Mm. What should I call her? Throat ripper. Corpse maker. Orphan teller. Eye gouger. Arrow pillow. Oh, uncle, bring me my cup. I'm thirsty. Uh, need some wine? It's pies. Who made this pie? The crust is not, is quite flaky, but it's drier than I'm used to. Pigeons are lively, but the feathers are dry. The crust is, uh, hmm, it's bready. Not quite ready. I would leave it in for a few more minutes.